Hey, everybody, how are you doing? That was a really smooth uh, transition right there. You gotta love uh, live. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we could have uh, we could have fixed that, Everett. Uh, anyway, folks, welcome uh, to our service. Um, I have asked Pastor Tamil to join me this morning, um, mostly because of the nature of what we're going to be talking about. And so we're going to actually have a conversation uh, with one another. We're going to let you in on uh, kind of what things are like here in the office, right? Where yeah. we sit and we talk about Jesus and we talk about theological things. And, and um, the, the other reason that I've invited Pastor Tamil uh, is that I've already taught on this. Uh, and so in the past, I've taught on this subject in our Rooted series, because the subject that we're dealing with today, peacemaking, uh, is, is a key doctrine to our denomination, mm-hmm. our denominational movement, uh, Mennonite Brethren, and specifically the Anabaptist movement. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually go back to our Rooted series online. Uh, it's archived in our YouTube and on our website and so on, and really get the the core teaching there. What we want to actually do this morning is have a conversation around this topic of peacemaking. And this topic's really interesting to me, mostly because it's so avoided Mm -hmm. in the Christian church. It's actually one of those things. We're we're notorious, and I'm I'm going to be honest, okay? We're notorious for, for looking things up in the Bible and pulling out an issue. Now, we'll, we'll take, for instance, women in ministry, women oh, preaching. We might as well talk, talk about that. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And we will, we will say, you know, women are not allowed to preach because the Bible says so. And we will pull out a verse or two, uh, something the Bible talks very little about, actually. And we will then stand really strong on that verse or two and say, this is what the Bible says about this. And so women can't teach, uh, especially women can't teach men and things like that. But actually, in the New Testament, there's very little conversation about that other than a few verses. And we know contextually that we challenge uh, the way that, that historically some of the church has interpreted that and so on. But this subject of peacemaking is one of the most dominant themes in the entire New Testament. Yeah. And what we do is instead of standing on that doctrine and saying, yes, we are peacemakers, and then living peacemaking, uh, instead we say, ah, he didn't really mean that. Mm -hmm. Like Matthew chapter 5, for instance, like he's just being figurative. He doesn't really expect us to live that way. Jesus is just over-exaggerating, so to speak. And so as a person who didn't grow up in the church, I find the church really strange when it comes to how they read the Bible. Uh, because we'll stand on these things that, that are kind of cultural issues, and we won't actually stand rooted in a biblical issue, mm-hmm. something that the Bible calls us to. Yeah, something that we would say is, is central. Mm-hmm. Now, we should give a disclaimer, I think, to our, our church family that's watching, yeah. that uh, this is something we're both pretty passionate about. And so let's just hope that we can keep to a timeline. Have you got a timer? Timer going? I do. There's a, a do. risk here. Yeah, yeah that we yeah. could get excited. Yeah, I set um, it for an hour and a half. Yeah. So we'll be fine. Awesome. Perfect. I don't know yeah. if that's enough. It's probably not. No. <laughs> yeah, especially, I mean, one of the things uh, in, my, in my doctoral dissertation, actually this was a piece of the subject. So what I was doing was I was analyzing uh, the different styles of, of uh, church, that we have. So the, the attractional model, 
which is a band up at the front, and we hope that people are then attracted to our church because of the way that we do church. And then the missional model, which is about sending people out, so it's less about attracting, more about sending and living on mission. And I actually analyzed both of those and came to the conclusion that they, they both are, it's kind of irrelevant, actually, and that if we're trying to be attractional in nature, the world does a far better job at it than we do. Mm-hmm. And so what is it about the Christian church? What is it specifically about Jesus that made him attractive? Because he didn't travel with a worship team. He didn't travel with, with microphones and, and lights that, that flashed and different things like that. Um, and, and in my argument, I actually said it's his posture of reconciliation, mm-hmm. the work that he did on the cross and the peacemaking nature in the way he, he did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's unpack a little bit very quickly uh, this concept of, of peacemaking. It's really, the heart of our theology on peacemaking has to do with the reconcil- reconciling work of Christ on the cross. So if you don't know what that means, it's basically just this. God uh, healed the the broken relationship between us and God by giving his life on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. So this this broken relationship between God and humanity was reconciled by the work of the cross. And we have this passage, very interesting passage, and a very misused passage in the Christian church. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says this, To a church that's battling through, do we follow religion or do we follow Jesus? Because there's a difference. He says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this passage has created a lot of controversy because it, it... People do bring it up when it comes to things like women preaching and stuff like that. And everybody argues, that's salvific in nature. Mm -hmm. And my reply is, yes, it is. And everything about Christianity is. Mm -hmm. So salvific means having to do with salvation. That's right. Because not everyone speaks our theological language. (laughs) So, So yeah, people will read this text and they'll say, well, this has to do with whether you can get to heaven or not. That's right. Right? And so we would have a different lens when we talk about even what salvation means. It's not all about this ticket for a destination that we're going to after we die. We actually believe that Jesus introduced the kingdom of God here and now, right? And so we're already working out our salvation. That's right. Yeah. So we, we've done a grave disservice mm-hmm. by making um, salvation the gospel when salvation is only sort of a uh, the thing we get after responding to the gospel. It's like a sort of a side note almost mm-hmm. is this sort of going to heaven thing. But in North, North American church, we've, we've made that a central thing. Mm-hmm. I need to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior receive him into my heart and begin my personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible doesn't talk like that at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I get to go to heaven. Yes, but that's not actually the way Jesus spoke a- at all. What he's actually doing in Galatians chapter 3, what Paul is doing, is Paul is actually taking us back to Genesis. And so in Genesis, we have the first two chapters where everything is beautiful, bliss, wonderful. We're in full relationship with God. We're walking in the garden with him. And then the fall happens. 
we eat the apple, uh, and, uh, and, and both Eve and Adam partake in that, and their eyes are opened to good and evil. And the minute that their eyes are opened, they only knew good at the time, the minute their eyes are opened to good and evil, uh, they, they, this concept of shame comes in. And we see this in, uh, in chapter 3, where they're walking through the garden, and they hear God walking. So that's how intimate they are with God at this point. And, and God says, you know, where are you? Which I find a really funny statement because he knows. And he wonders why they ran. Why did they go and hide? And listen to their answer. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first time we see shame. Now, if we jump over to verse 16 in the, in the fall, what we actually see happening is this this broken relationship beginning between us and God and the broken relationship between one another. Mm -hmm. So something we often miss in Genesis is that it's not just a broken relationship between God and humanity, but it's actually a broken relationship between all of humanity as well. Mm -hmm. And so we've been living in strife ever since. And so listen to what God says to the woman in verse 16. He said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. I bet you all women were really happy about that decision. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Again, a very misused uh, passage, which proves the division that the fall has caused. And then he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And so we see this dynamic of a separation, breaking our relationship with God. We now feel shame uh, and we're hiding from God. That's Mm -hmm. the imagery it's giving us in the Hebraic text. And then a broken relationship actually between Adam and Eve, where where, uh, this ruling over kind of concept is actually a broken relationship because in the garden in verse chapters one and two uh, there was no ruling over anybody Mm -hmm. we were ruling over the land by bearing fruit and 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 uh, and so on and so we see this and it's important to not miss that because what paul is actually doing in galatians 3 is is he is saying that christ's death reconciles us to god and reconciles us to one another. So he came, literally, the gospel is that Jesus came to address all broken relationships. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Through his death, former enemies are reconciled to live as at peace, both with God and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things, we, we look at the uh, creation narrative a lot of times, and, you know, one thing after another, God creates the world, he creates the animals, he creates humans, he creates everything, and after, after it all, he says, you know, this is good, this is good, and then he, he makes human beings, and at the end of the whole deal, he looks at it and says, this is really good, right? Like, it's like, this is fantastic, yeah. and uh, a lot of times when we read that passage, we're thinking about the specific items, like God thinks that bugs are good, God thinks that dolphins are good, but really the way that like Hebraic thought would have worked is that it's it's not the specific items yes. that are good, right? Yeah. It's this 
holistic picture, the relationships between people, the relationships between people and themselves, people and God, people and the, the creatures of the world, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so we see in Genesis 3, all of these relationships fractured, yes. right? It's all in there. It's shame enters. So our relationship with ourselves gets twisted because we're out of relationship with the God who created us and that's broken. And our relationship with one another between genders, between people is broken with humanity and the land, right? Work becomes hard. Like yeah. it's, it's all fractured. And so yeah. Jesus comes not just for this, you know, one directional reconciliation between us and God. It's like this whole picture that he's restoring shalom, peace, yeah. right? In the whole big picture. Yes. And you'll yeah. hear that concept of shalom quite a bit throughout the Old Testament and moving into the New Testament. This concept of returning back to shalom. Mm. And uh, it, that's actually a really important concept, especially to understand what exactly Jesus is meaning by us being peacemakers. And it's amazing because in Ephesians chapter 2, we see Paul talking about this, this reconciliation that happens with us and God, as well as with us and humanity. Mm. And so this, this reconciling Jew and Gentile uh, through Christ. And this concept of Jesus actually being our peace. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing for sake of time, so I'm just going to jump down Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. So sorry, Phil, if I, if I messed you all up. But it says, For he himself is our peace. Jesus. So mm. Jesus is this one that reconciled, that brought peace. How many of us feel peaceful right now? We're in Christ, and, and we serve Jesus Christ, and we profess Jesus Christ, but yet even Christians lack peace. Mm. And so that's a really curious statement. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups. And so he's going to talk about our relationship with humanity. Mm -hmm. Who made the two groups, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So again, back to Genesis 3. That's when the wall of hostility went up. We feel shame. We lost our identities. Mm -hmm. We don't know who we are uh, in Christ at all. We're trying to figure this out for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Humanity is trying to battle through this and we're given religion and we're given the law and so on. And then we get Jesus, yep. who's our peace, who destroys the barrier, the dividing wall of, of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So he's, he's setting aside the religious stuff that they had to do. His purpose was to create in himself, listen to this folks, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. New yeah. Testament loves the concept of oneness. Oh, yeah. And we are not one. We are, biblically speaking, but yeah. we sure don't act we like We really one. struggle with living it out. Yeah. 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 And what Paul, whenever we hear Paul talking about two becoming one, right, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah. So this, like these groups were so intensely divided. It was just completely countercultural. this message that he, and, that, and this is why he has to keep coming back to it. every letter, right? Again and again, he comes back to it. Like the wall has been torn down, guys. Yeah. Like the things that you think keep people on the outside, the things that you think keep you separated are no longer in existence because Jesus has overcome all of it, yes. right? It's incredibly powerful and countercultural. Like it would have been mind-blowing yes. to them. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the gospel message. Mm -hmm. This is the essence of the gospel message. Like notice we're not talking about going to heaven. Mm. We're actually talking about relationships. 
We're talking about communal relationships. We're talking about our relationship with God and humanity, our relationship with one another, and how we go about relating to one another and where we find our true identities. Mm -hmm. There's no conversation at this point based on the ministry of reconciliation that we're called to. uh, There's no conversation yet about heaven. Heaven is really just a byproduct. It's just something that after you've lived here on earth within the kingdom that you that you get to go to to be with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so don't mean to burst your bubble or anything. <laughs> Heaven's great, but it's actually not central to the gospel message. It's not, and it's also now, right? This is part of the part of the shift in how um, our thinking kind of needs to be corrected in the Western Church. I think is that this reconciliation that Paul is calling us to, that Jesus introduced and that he made possible through the cross. It's, it's actually heaven seeping into our world by the power of the Spirit now, right. right? And That's so right. yeah. heaven, when we die, is just really a, an afterthought. It's a continuation of what we get to get a taste of. Yeah, it's great, but it actually isn't what motivates us towards salvation mm-hmm. or shouldn't be. So we are in, we're going to need to get moving here. <laughs> we are called to a ministry of reconciliation and peacemaking. That's actually literally a calling that Scripture gives us in Ephesians Chapter 2, I'll jump to, I'll I'll start right at verse 11. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Since then we know that what what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. I love this. If, you, if we are out of our minds, right? Like, I, I want people to think I'm out of my mind. My wife would probably argue that I actually am. <laughs> but uh, he says, if, we were, if we're out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. That's an interesting statement. If we are in our right minds, it's for you. For Christ's love, This is what compels us, right? Mm. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. He's talking about right now. Mm -hmm. He's not talking about later or anything like that. He's talking about right now. that, That we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from this worldly point of view. Uh, Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is the calling of the church, Mm. the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now listen to what he says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Mm. The church called to the ministry of reconciliation, called to mend broken relationships. Mm to lead people into mending broken relationships with God and with one another. Mm -hmm. This is important. This is peacemaking. This is a central concept in the New Testament because we're Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. Our appeal is not done with rock instruments. Our appeal is not done at putting on a great show. Our appeal is done because we live the ministry of reconciliation. And this is what makes the church different than the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world is not interested in reconciling all relationships. We're only interested in reconciling the ones we want to. Mm. I feel like I'm getting on a rant here. Do you have anything to say about that? You're doing great. No, it's awesome. Well, it is, yeah, it is actually really powerful, even just that uh, line about we don't view anyone from a human point of view. Mm. Can you imagine? Like, imagine that our lens when we look at other people is always through the eyes of God, right? That right there is like the first step towards reconciliation. Mm. And then Mm. what's powerful about that passage is just, I just want to briefly hit on it because it really jumps out to me that he, Paul doesn't seem to view uh, reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others as a separate thing. Exactly. They're one yeah. and the same. You almost at yeah. certain points in this passage don't know whether, which one he's talking about. It's yeah. like, you know, you've been reconciled with God and so go make things right with one another, help other people make things right between themselves and celebrate the fact that you've been made right with God and reconciliation is really at the heart of all of this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And reconciliation means peacemaking. Mm, yeah. making peace. That's, yeah. what, that's how they connect it in the gospel message, that Jesus became our peace mm. and that the church is then to make peace. So Romans, very quickly, Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, mm. live at peace with everyone. Let's pluck that one out and let's rest on that one. Mm-hmm. Instead of arguing about these non-central issues, let's actually say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. What that means is our actions. Mm-hmm. Our actions have to be right actions that are saturated in Christ. We can't control the other person, but we can control ourselves. That's what Paul's talking about, or, about here. If it's at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And he doesn't just say with people you like or people who agree with you. He says with everyone. And this is a central theme of the gospel message. So let's jump to the more practical stuff here. Jesus calls us to love our enemies and to bring peace in all relationships. Why? Why do we struggle with this? I'll, I'll touch on the passive. I know I jumped. I jumped ahead. Gotcha. Uh, but I'll, I'll touch on the passive rather than peacemaking rather than pacifism in a second. Okay. Why do we struggle with this so much? Well, <laughs> I think that there are a few reasons. One being that it's hard, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's difficult. And the reality is um, peacemaking, it's such a big topic, right? Because it comes down to something as small as the fact that, you know, you ate my sandwich (laughs) from the fridge and I'm annoyed at this little, you know, grievance to like massive, large scale um, issues of division and oppression. And like I spent a few weeks in South Africa, like Mm. studying specifically how they are navigating and are still navigating reconciliation after apartheid, right? Where entire groups of people um, were oppressed. And so I think that part of the challenge is that it's hard. And, uh, and so we look for ways of justifying our position rather than looking at um, ways of moving towards a solution. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, I, I came across this passage yesterday that hit me in a new way. It's James 3, verse 18, and he talks about peacemakers sowing seeds of, right, of, of, um, of peace and the harvest being righteousness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. And it really struck me that, you know, sometimes that's all we can do is like plant seeds. Like, and we want to see the outcome right away. Yeah. So I think part of the challenge is that it's just not as, I don't love gardening because things grow slowly. I like buying the plant that's already grown. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't want the time, right? Yeah. I don't like, I don't like waiting. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's challenging because peacemaking is hard and slow. It's yeah. in certain times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that on, uh, the, when it comes to the smaller issues that we have between people on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes I think it's because it's we get so stuck on just being right. Yeah. Right. It matters so much to us yep. that we're right. And so we come up with excuses for, um, you know, we all we always think that our situation is different. Like, I want people to love their enemies and I think that they should. Yep. But when it comes to my own enemies, like I tend to think, well, that's different. They're, you know, Jesus couldn't have possibly known how terrible they are. Right. When he was yep. saying saying to love our enemies. And I think we all kind of do this. And so. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that that insisting on being right and having rights. Mm -hmm. Now. I know Christians get really upset with me about this um, because I say this simple line that I think is the heart of the gospel. Mm -hmm. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, however you want to phrase that, you have given up your right to have rights. Mm -hmm. But what we've designed North American Christianity to be is to fight for rights. Mm -hmm. And I think that our deep need to be right and our deep need to have rights mm -hmm. is actually bathed in sin. Mm -hmm. It's bathed in the division of the, the, the identity crisis that we've, we've found in Genesis. Because needing to always be right and needing to have rights and resting in those kinds of things, are, are, um, they're just not a central piece to who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. You didn't see Jesus walking around looking for those types of things. This, let, me, let me just back up for a second. There's this concept of peacemaking rather than pacifism. Mm. So our denomination would say we're peacemakers. We're not pacifists. So biblical peacemaking calls us to be more than passive non-resistors. The word peacemaker combines the meaning of well-being or wholeness with the idea of action. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So I would actually argue that without the concept of reconciliation, peacemaking, we will never find wholeness. Mm -hmm. So yep. we may have found Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but if we're not actually living out this concept of reconciliation, there'll always be something missing mm -hmm. from our lives. So a peacemaker is one who actively intervenes in situations of conflict in order to establish peace. Now listen to what Jesus teaches us. Matthew chapter 5, everybody loves Matthew chapter 5. So many people say, yeah, Matthew, like Jesus is over-exaggerating to make a point. He's not actually calling us to live that way. Our posture as a denomination is, is yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. He actually means every word that he says. So listen to some of the things that Jesus teaches us on the way to live as a peacemaker by refusing retaliation. Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, to not insist on legal rights. There you go. Let's pluck that passage out. Matthew chapter 5, don't insist on legal rights. You ready? Surrender personal property. How many people are ready to do that? Not many. <laughs> don't resist those who demand assistance. Here's a good one. Give money rather than loan it. Mm. Like our entire society structure is the opposite of this. And this is Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus calls us to Early on in verses 38 to 42, he says, turn the other cheek. Don't, don't 
punch the person back. Don't react violence for violence. The eye for eye is no longer a thing. Don't insist on legal rights. Surrender your personal property because it's Jesus's anyway. Mm-hmm. But we, we're like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I have it, I earned it. Uh, don't resist those who demand assistance. We love, we love to judge who needs assistance and who doesn't. Fill out applications for assistance and so on. And then our whole banking system is built on making the rich richer and saying, you know, we're going to loan you this money for this time. But the, G- God even had a system with the Jews to fix that called the year right. of Jubilee, yeah. where all debts were forgiven. Yeah. So seven years was the only time that you could give a loan for, and then it was forgiven. Mm-hmm. Your, your slaves were set free. Everything was reset. The farmers didn't even get to farm their land for that year. But yet, that year was like the reset that reset their hearts, gave them rest, replenished the land, and made it fruitful for the next year, and, uh, and gave freedom to mm-hmm. those who weren't free. We are called to be agents of reconciliation, which means alleviating suffering, reducing strife, and promoting justice. Mm-hmm. That is the heart of the ministry of reconciliation. So we struggle with this because we love being right and mm-hmm. we love to have rights. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, lay all that down. Right. Let all that go. I also think that we limit how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Mm-hmm. We, love, uh, we love to use the Holy Spirit instead of respond to hmm. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, And then I think that we just don't understand the power of God's grace. Mm -hmm. I really think that it boils down to that, too. We don't understand the power of God's grace. Instead, we often feel like we need to earn that grace instead. Yeah. Yeah. um, Just when you're hitting on the Holy Spirit there, it just occurred to me, you know, we often look to the Holy Spirit for miracles. Like, we all love miracles, and miracles are awesome. God does does miracles, but uh, isn't peacemaking if we can like actually live out reconciliation look at how divided our world is like what a miracle what a sign of wonder it would be to the world if christians could actually live this out and so when you say we limit how the holy spirit works i think you're that's a big part of it right we we look for the to the holy spirit to work in certain ways but we kind of like put the holy spirit in a box when i think often god is saying like the holy spirit is leading you to do something that's totally countercultural here yeah right and to set aside the need to be right and to uh, lay down our rights and to work towards peace in situations where peace seems totally impossible. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, uh, psychological phenomenon, right? We were talking about this earlier, called the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yes. And uh, it's the, it hits on this reality. And I think I, social media has like just put, the, like put this on blast, right? This is all over yeah, the I place. A, I have a deep love for social media. <laughs> I know. We I think it's a great tool. Talk about it occasionally. <laughs> it's a great tool to divide the world. Yeah, it's been Go causing ahead. some problems lately. <laughs> yes. But this whole idea... Right so, in our church, it's been causing problems. Yes, so. yeah, yeah, across the board. It, and it's... Uh, so we could do a whole other sermon series, and we should, about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dunning-Kruger effect. So it's this reality that um, we tend to believe that we're experts when we know very little information. Mm. And so it's if you look at uh, people who don't know anything about a specific topic... They're generally pretty good at saying, like, oh, I don't know anything about this. So, like, a political issue or something, I really don't know anything about it, and and they'll tap out there. When people know a little bit of information about a topic, it's like your sense of expertise just goes through the roof. And you can Google it, and you can find the graph that actually where this is represented based on the research that they did. So if you know a little bit of information, you tend to think you're an expert. And there's almost, like, this arrogance that they found in people who were in that category where they they, um, were really 
they really wanted to be right. They really wanted to prove that they were right. Yeah. But then when you actually look at the, the true experts on topics, what you tend to see is there's this very, the, the, the initial sense of being an expert is very quickly dismantled when yes, they, they go on their education, as <laughs> yeah. you know, because you've done extended education. Because they, they come yeah. up with different, they come against different perspectives and theories and they engage in conversations and so they realize that actually they don't, they don't know as much as they thought and there's kind of like this slow progression towards a sense of confidence in what they believe yeah. but what you see is that when people have that level of um, expertise it's true expertise when they actually know about a topic there's a humility yeah. there yeah. right and so I think what we're seeing right now especially with social media is that we've got a lot of people who know a little bit about a lot of topics and yeah. who really want the world to know uh, their opinion. Yes. Right. And so yeah. this is it's yeah, and it's it's incredibly divisive, right? It's it's yeah. it's caused a whole lot of polarization in our world when really, um, for what? Yeah. For what purpose, right? Yeah. When really we're called to, like the more education that I've done in scripture, the more I realize I don't know anything about the Bible, mm -hmm. and and uh, yet I go online and lots of people know lots about the Bible, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's really divisive in nature and it's really beating people down and it's causing my non-christian friends to want nothing to do with christianity mm -hmm. uh, because really what they want us to do is just take a posture of humility to recognize that maybe we don't know some things but that god has called us to heal broken relationships mm -hmm. think of how countercultural that is yeah if the posture of the church was that what how we were attracting people to the gospel was with the gospel. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> It'd be amazing. Let's attract people to the gospel with the gospel, <laughs> which is the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yeah. It's the call to being peacemakers, mm -hmm. to healing broken relationships, to knocking down the barriers of shame, to build our identity in Christ, mm -hmm. right here, right now. Mm -hmm. So we have these, what I argued in my dissertation, we have these, these concepts of how to do church, but when it omits the ministry of reconciliation, when it omits peacemaking, it actually is not attractive at all. Yeah. Peacemaking is drastically attractive, and I argue is the peace that made Jesus so attractive. Yeah. And uh, in, in our culture... Like our culture is great at entertainment, right? And so I think what we're seeing in, in younger generations, and I'm thankful for it, is that uh, people aren't, aren't buying that, right? It, it, that's not enough to, to bring people to church. And so I think the church has kind of gone into a state of panic at certain times saying like, well, the younger people don't want to come. The younger people aren't interested in the gospel. And I think that, uh, that, that part of that is because we've kind of got this distorted view of the gospel and younger people are struggling to believe that the gospel is good for the world. That's right. When like the gospel is the best possible, it true, it's good news. It means good news because it's actually good news for the world, right? And this whole idea of peacemaking and not, not just an idea, this whole practice of peacemaking, if we could embody it, I believe that there's incredible hope because the, the few, the gen, they're not even the future generations. Like yeah. the, the generations that are being raised up in the church, the gen, gen Z, millennials, right? Like they actually just want what's good for the world. This is one of the phenomenons about these generations, right? They want, uh, they want to follow people who are doing good things for the world. Yeah. And, and this is, the gospel is good news. I think that we're living in a time of incredible opportunity. Yeah. Um, if we could just be faithful to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We wonder, you know, what, what was so attractive about Jesus and why are people not attracted to the church anymore? Mm. And a lot of people uh, talk about ethics mm -hmm. and actually it's, 
It's about making peace. Mm -hmm. It's about healing relationships because that is the most countercultural thing in this world, not just North America, but our world, period. Mm -hmm. Imagine a church that takes a posture of healing relationships and leading people to wholeness mm -hmm. through Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, for sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead here. Jesus summarizes this entire teaching with this simple command, love God and love our neighbors. Mm -hmm. He calls us to love our enemies. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's crazy, right? That sounds insane, but he actually calls us to love our enemies. And this means our love for God has to be both vertical and horizontal in nature. So I'll explain that very quickly. It can't just be upward and inward. That's what we often describe the gospel as. You accept Jesus into your heart. You give all exaltation to God. That's a big fancy word for lift everything up to God. And have this internal change that happens, and now it becomes this personal faith, this personal relationship. The Bible never talks about personal, always talks communal. Our love must extend to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it can't just be upward and inward. It also has to be outward. Yeah. That's the call of the gospel. So what are some practical things that we could do to actually live with a posture of peacemaking? You want me to go first? You can go first, okay. sure. <laughs> I think we need to, uh, first of all, ask God to draw us closer to him because we need his Holy Spirit working in us. Mm. I think this is impossible without the Holy Spirit being in us. I think that the book of Acts tells us that, that we need the Spirit in us in order to be able to even take on this posture in any way possible. I think we need to begin to make amends with our social relationships. We have, like, brokenness even within families. Mm. We have people who don't get along even within our church. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make amends in those social relationships. Now, one thing I'll throw out there about making amends. In AA, in, in addiction, and many people know that I've worked in the addiction field, often when people go to make amends, they go assuming that the person will forgive them. Mm. Now, remember, the concept here, though, is in any way that we... Mm -hmm. uh, are able to control, right? Yeah. So make peace in any way that you can. Yeah. So when you go to make amends, you won't always receive it back. Mm -hmm. But the, the important posture is, is that you are genuinely attempting to mend a, a social relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we need to lay down our need to be right and be willing to listen to others, even when their opinion is different mm -hmm. uh, than ours. I think we need to seek justice, show mercy, and offer hope in everything we do. Mm -hmm. So in any re interaction we have with one another or with anybody, our bosses, that enemy that we hate, the person we despise the most, we should be seeking justice, showing mercy, and offering hope in everything we do. And I think that starts with the family. Mm -hmm. Can you think of anything else? Well, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but I think one of the most important things, the thing that comes to mind first is, is listening, right? And... Uh, we, we tend to kind of hear someone's opinion on something or know about something they did or just for whatever reason we put them in the category of enemy or someone that we don't like without really knowing their full story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like I've, I've been working in mental health as well for like eight years. And so one of the things you learn is that everyone has a story, yeah. right? And it's really important to listen to those stories. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you do that, often... Um, you'll be amazed at what you can learn for them, from them. Um, 
Romans 12, the, the message translation, one of the things that, that Paul says there is discover beauty in everyone. Yes. Right? Yeah. Don't hit back. It's part, part of this whole same section, actually, right? Yeah. But yeah. discover beauty in everyone. Yeah. And what if we took that as our challenge? If, mm-hmm. if the people who I have the hardest time understanding, have the hardest time loving, if I just engage them in conversation, if I ask them about their life and their family and kind of where they're coming from, and I just might, my whole goal internally, you don't have to say like, hey, I'm trying to discover beauty in you and I can't find it anywhere. So I'm just yeah. gonna, you know, but what, but what if that was kind of like our, our goal in a conversation with people is to discover what we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. So listening to people's stories, I think is, is incredible. And then um, one of the, you know, and there's, there were times in my life where I, I felt like, I had to keep people on the out, like, like if people weren't living a certain way, the way that the church um, would say is correct, like so within a certain framework of ethics, I would have thought that I had a moral obligation to kind of create a distance or to call them out on something. And we hear that actually, we've talked about yeah. that, right? Like, yeah. you know, loving people is calling them out on their sin. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, <laughs> often that's not the case, right? I mean, we have honest conversations with people and there's times where we need to tell hard truth, right? But that happens in the context of relationships that are centered right. in love. People don't yeah. care what you have to say if they think that you don't care about them. Yeah. So it's not going to result in fruit anyways, yeah. right? And so this, this freedom, I th- like to me, it, it was incredible experience of freedom when I was just able to, to wrap my head around this reality that God gives me permission to fully love and include everyone, yeah. Right, and he'll, the Holy Spirit will take things from there. Yeah, he'll sort all that stuff out. Yeah, right? we're yeah. not responsible to control yeah. other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. So if they disagree with us, that's okay, right? We don't need to control it. We don't need to control other people's behavior or um, right. things like that. So there's an incredible freedom in just being like, no, God, God invites us and uh, delights when we're able to just extend love to, yeah. to everyone regardless. Yeah, and I, I think that we, uh, just to, this is the last point and then we're going to wrap up. I think that uh, uh, I want to give everybody a really basic concept that you would normally mm. pay for coming to counseling. <laughs> uh, we don't actually communicate well. And so I want to give you an acronym. I'm not really big into acronyms, but it's EAR. I have really big ears. Just remember that. Pastor Jeff has really big ears. God loves your E-A-R ears. E-A-R is how you spell EAR. And EAR is actually a great way to communicate, Right? E stands for empathy, A for assertiveness, and R for respect. And so we tend, some of us are really good at assertiveness, Hmm. but not very good at assertiveness with empathy and respect. Mm -hmm. We get a bit of a twisted idea on what assertiveness actually means. Yes, we think that asserting is, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's what I think, you should think what I think. When in actuality, assertiveness is actually just truth-telling. Right? It's just being honest, telling the truth. Now, some of us struggle with assertiveness because we prefer passive aggressiveness. So we like to beat around the bush. Uh, You know, like when Carrie says, the dishes are dirty. That's Carrie's way of saying, Jeff, you should do the dishes, but it's taken me, I'm still learning. Uh, Right? Because I don't always respond to that. If she just said, Jeff, do the dishes, then I hopefully would get off the couch and press the button on the dishwasher. (laughs) So if we're going to be assertive or not be assertive, like that's essential. Somebody has to know what you're trying to communicate, but, but you have to communicate that thing with empathy and with respect. Mm-hmm. And so if we're communicating with empathy, truth-telling, and respect, mm-hmm. communication actually can be very peace-oriented because we're empathizing and we're communicating with respect 
in a clear fashion of, uh, with assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And so just remember ear, folks. Empathy, assertiveness, and respect. Even online. Now, it's more difficult online because empathy, assertiveness, and respect also have physical postures attached to them. And so I prefer that you would communicate in person. Is it like 92 or 3% of communication is nonverbal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're online, right, it's like you can't just put like an emoji to show empathy. (laughs) Because what happens is is the empathy doesn't actually come through with the emoji, just the assertiveness Mm, comes through with the emoji. And so, folks, I really want to challenge you as we begin to to transition in our service to go to communion. I really want to challenge you, empathy, assertiveness, and respect. That can be your beginning posture to begin practicing peacemaking. And then ask God to draw you closer to him, make amends in your social relationships, lay down your right to, to need rights, and be willing to listen to others, seek justice, show mercy, offer hope, Mm. and show empathy, assertiveness, and respect. We're going to take you to the prayer of St. Francis that we've had some of the kids uh, in our church do, and then we're going to get ready for communion. So enjoy this prayer as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Amen. The Apostle Paul is giving actually the church in Corinth some correction here. They've been practicing the Lord's Supper in uh, actually a self-centered way, a way that isn't about making peace, a way that isn't about healing relationships. They were actually practicing the Lord's Supper in a way that was dividing the church. They were separating the rich and the poor, and those who were rich were eating the feasts, and the poor were going hungry. And so the Apostle Paul brings correction, and he sees that the Lord's Supper is the thing that can bring unity to this if done properly. And I really think that that's because the Lord's Supper oozes this concept of of reconciliation Mm -hmm. and peacemaking because he gave his life for us so that he would be our peace. Mm -hmm. And so Paul says this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Now, we have this fancy little bread. We have these little kits. I'm struggling a little bit here. Yeah, they're they're interesting. Um, We have these little kits so that we can actually do communion in a COVID-safe way. 
uh, and in it has this cute little wafer and this little thing of juice. Mine, and Tamil's wafer broke. <laughs> and like so we're going to see this as bread. It symbolizes bread. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless your body as we partake in it. Your body that was broken for each of us. May we always remember the sacrifice that you made on the cross. The fact that your body felt all the pain. That your body was actually physically sacrificed so that we could, be li- so that we could live in peace with you and with one another. And so, Lord, as we take this, I pray that we would press into the presence of the Holy Spirit and ask him to make us peacemakers in a broken world. Will you take this bread with me? And then Paul says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we see this as a symbol of the blood that was shed. Not literal, not like this isn't literal blood. Some actually believe that. We don't believe in that. We just believe it's a symbol of the blood that was shed, that Jesus Christ was fully man. And so he actually suffered the same way that you and I would suffer if we went to a cross, that he felt it all, that he took on all the burdens Uh, of the world when he went to the cross, also that we could be reconciled to peace. That's how central this is to the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. We're peacemakers. And so, Lord, I pray that through your blood, through the sacrifice that you made, that you would launch us into the ministry of reconciliation, that we would be as a church about healing broken relationships with all people. And Lord, I pray that that the power and presence of your Holy Spirit would be what motivates our hearts and our minds to do so. As we take this cup, we remember the new covenant that you've brought in. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me as we close the service today? Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, um, help us to dig into the scriptures, to, to your word, to hear what me and Pastor Tamil just talked about. I pray, Lord, that we would become curious, that we would be critical thinkers to think through these things and that we would respond to the nudgings of your Holy Spirit. So as we move forward, may the Lord bless us, may the Lord uh, keep us safe, and may the Lord make us peacemakers in all things. Amen. Amen.